I'm Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us today on this Thursday. I know, guys, sometimes my schedule goes a little off, and, you know, it's usually Wednesdays and Saturdays. But you know what? I am one of those that when the opportunity comes about and we can get some great guests, we will make it happen because we definitely want to bring you the best, as always. And tonight is definitely like like every other night with an amazing, amazing guest that we have here today. He is an educator. He is a podcaster as well. And today he's going to share his experience in teaching. And you may be asking yourself, well, you've already have a lot of educators and you've had people on. Well, I just want to let you know that Hunter, this is his third year teaching. So he's, he's fresh, I guess you would say, you know, <laughs> into the classroom and so on. But don't let that fool you. You know, we today we're going to learn what it's like and what it has been like for Hunter as he has moved into the classroom. We're going to know what inspired him to move into the classroom. And of course, we're definitely going to be talking about some of the podcasting that he does and just lessons learned, guys, because this is a time where us as educators, it's important that we learn from one another. And if there's anything that we can do or help with and that you can learn from us, or at least from our mistakes, so you don't make those, that's what we're here for. So, Hunter, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Hunter, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing amazing. I was just telling you, well, first of all, thank you for the kind introduction. I just need to pocket that in like a bottle and have you introduce me every single period of every single day. Uh, I think my students and I would love that. So if I can sign you up for that, that would be great. Hey, you um, know no, what? I... We'll work on that. I'll, I'll definitely I'll record that soundbite and then you can pop it on there. There we go. I love that. My students would, would love that, too. No, I, I'm doing great. You know, for mid-November, um, it's really easy to be negative. I was telling you a little bit before the podcast, it's just like, oh, man, it's starting to get cold here in Iowa. A little bit less sunshine outside. You know, you wake up, it's dark. You go home, it's dark. And so it's really easy to just sort of get get negative over the little things. And, and today was just an awesome day. You know, and I felt like the kids were feeding off my positive energy, and I really felt that. So things are going well. How about yourself? Excellent. Well, doing great. I mean, we're getting ready for break. Like I mentioned to you, you know, a little bit in the warm-up chat, you know, we are going to get a whole week off. So it'll be a nice week to just kind of relax, disconnect, you know, kind of recharge your batteries. And then we've got three more weeks of work, and then we're off for Christmas break for two weeks. And then after that, January on, it seems like it's just going to fly right by. And I mean... It has been a whirlwind of a year and, mm -hmm. you know, of course, with all so many things going on. But you know what? Like you said, you know, you do have your good days. You do have your bad days, but it's all in the attitude that you bring in. Right. And I know you posted about that, uh, you know, earlier today, social media mm -hmm. and talking about that. And we'll get into that, too. But if you can, Hunter, for our listeners that are watching uh, today that are getting to know you for the first time, those that will be watching later or listening to the episode later, give us a little brief introduction, uh, you know, about who you are, where you're from and uh, your context in education. And if you can, please add one little interesting thing about yourself that's people may not know. All right. So I'll start with the interesting thing because it sort of ties into my story. So I'm a triplet, but I have two sisters. So 
that's like my icebreaker for all time. It's like, oh, what's one interesting thing about you? Or what's the, you know, for the icebreaker activity every teacher ever had you do, you know, all throughout elementary school. But yeah, so I'm a triplet. I've got two sisters. They're amazing. Um, but neither of them went into education and both my parents were educators. And so I was forced to, obviously. Um, but, but in all reality, you know, my parents, uh, my mom was a, a retired principal. She was a longtime teacher before that. And my dad is still currently teaching at the same school he started at. He's teaching middle school science um, for the sixth grade level. And so growing up, sitting at the dinner table, listening to their stories about this kid and that kid or the awesome assembly with the, where they got pie in their face because kids don't you know, fundraise enough money. Just all of those stories growing up really inspired me to have that same impact and want to have that same impact on kids. Um, so education was really never in my, like, I never could imagine myself doing anything else. So um, it's sort of like a boring story, but I've always wanted to be an educator. And here I am, third year teaching seventh grade science in the Des Moines area. Um, and I'm absolutely loving it. So Oh man, that is wonderful. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you, like you said, I think you do win uh, the icebreaker. You are the king of the icebreakers as with that fun fact about yourself stating that you are a triplet. I, <laughs> I would have never known. It took me by surprise too. And I was like, mm -hmm. that is definitely a great and interesting fact. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And uh, for all our audience members joining us right now, I know Mel is here. Mel is joining us from Colombia. So she says, good evening, not long time no see. But Mel is always a great supporter of the show. So thank you so much for joining us, Mel, all the way from Colombia via Australia. So, yeah, so that's something wow. that is wonderful. So I'm excited about that. So, mm -hmm. Hunter, let's go ahead and just uh, talk a little bit more about your education journey. Now, you said, you know, you, you know, two other siblings, they didn't become educators, parent educator. You know, so tell us a little bit about that. You know, was it really, really something that you said, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to be, mm -hmm. or did you have that one moment where you had that one teacher that said, Hey, you know what, that that's what I want to be. Or of course, I mean, you had your dad. So right. what, what really like just said, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to go after. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's a good question. I think it back to like a lot of the teachers I know, and it wasn't like when I was a kid, you know, I always wanted to play school. You know, I just really enjoyed my schooling experience. And I think as, you know, in addition to the the parental stories and them role modeling me uh, for me rather, um, and just getting throughout uh, into like into classrooms in high school. So I was able to do some field experiences. It was a process of reaffirmation. Like I always knew I wanted to go into education, but there were checks along the way. So my parents would constantly check me. They're like, are you sure? It's like really hard. <laughs> are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. And, you know, get to my high school field experience, do 150 hours in a fourth grade classroom and in a middle school. Like, OK, you made it through this. I think you might be able to do this. Get into college. And, you know, you just kind of go from there. Um, and the more field experiences I had, you know, just the more confident I felt in myself to go in education and really try and make a difference. And and the big thing, too, was seeing my parents um, at the dinner table. Like I said, there were so many positives. But my mom was a principal um, at a high school that <laughs> had a lot of issues and like there's a lot of negative sides too to, to education. And so seeing them come home and seeing the things that are out of their control that they were trying to fight and trying to fix um, and fight against really instilled in me a passion to try and make a difference. You know, I always wanted to feel like I can make a change that education could be different. You know, when my parents retire, school will not look the same. And so I think that's partially what's, what's driving me still. 
um, is just seeing that other side of education that's really, really tough to to fix and change. But that's why we do podcasts like this, so we can learn from the best, so we can share ideas, collaborate, because we know the change is possible, but it takes things like this to make that happen. No, and I absolutely agree with you. And you know what? It's very interesting, you know, that you did have your parents at home where you constantly heard, you know, obviously the the upside of this, you know, why mm-hmm. they do their why. They're sharing their why with you. And that definitely pumps you up. But the fact that, you know, you saw them, you know, in the most vulnerable state too, when things weren't going so well and, you know, things were tough, but the fact that you say, you know what, this is what I want to do and, and inspire that change. I think like it was very similar to the conversation that we had when I was thinking about like, you know what, this is what I want to do. And yes, I I definitely want to go into leadership because of change. We want to make that change because we, we can always see what can be done differently or just just one little tweak can make a huge difference just like you posted you know you had a a, you know a not so great day and then all of a sudden like the next day you come in and boom it was you you were just balling like you know the class Mm -hmm. was awesome you had some great lessons you had some great interactions and that's the way it goes but you know we're we're chasing that that change we want to make a difference and i absolutely agree with you you know making those connections has definitely been a wonderful wonderful way to learn from the best and take those things sprinkle them on into our practice and cook up something great that we can serve up to others so yeah for sure that's wonderful that really excites me and we've got amanda here amanda Amanda, from cali what's up friends hey mel hey fonts thank you so much amanda for joining us amanda also if you haven't connected with her hunter definitely connect with her amanda is just amazing she's an amazing tech coach she just wealth of knowledge too as well and also just a great supporter of the show so thank you so much amanda for joining us here today. So Hunter, okay, so you've got teacher parents, you know, administrator. Now you're going into your third year of teaching. And so you're currently teaching middle school, you said, correct? Correct. I'm teaching seventh grade science. I'm, I do a lot of different things as well. I serve on the building leadership team. What's up, Amanda? Um, serve on the building leadership team. I'm a mentor teacher, which is a new role as well. So um, normally that's first year teachers, but in, in my case, it's, uh, I serve four other teachers within my school and just supporting them and their needs, um, kind of connecting them to our professional learning, um, community. We call it cluster within our school. Um, so that's taken up a lot of my time and it's given me a lot of, um, insight into the challenges teachers face, but also so many of like, just being able to be in classrooms has been so much fun for me this year. Um, you know, especially starting my career during COVID. Um, my first year of teaching was right when that pandemic hit. And so the idea of getting into other people's classrooms was really tough because we were in classrooms and then completely out of school. We were at home teaching online and then it was hybrid. And, you know, so that got in the way of actually seeing other awesome teachers do what they do. Um, so in addition to my building leadership, leadership, building leadership team role, I'm also a mentor teacher and teach seventh grade science. So Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. we've got Josh Tovar also who's joining us, and he is a principal, Garland ISD. And Welcome, I don't know, Josh. I don't know, Hunter, if you're familiar with Josh. Josh does some amazing work, too, as well with Unlock the Middle. He definitely mm-hmm. is a huge advocate of the principal's, principal's chair. He definitely has a great vision for principals, great leader also as well. So I highly recommend you give him a follow. But Hunter, let's talk a little bit about mentoring. You see, sure. currently right now I'm taking a, a course and it's mentoring and professional development. So I want to ask you, 
your first year, did you, were you assigned a mentor? I, I hope you did. Yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I, I had two, so I had a first year teacher mentor and an actual like mentor teacher that would meet with me weekly. So it was nice to have two people sort of supporting me. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. How helpful was it to have that the first year? I mean, just having not one, but two people that can kind of help you as you're transitioning into your first year of teaching. Give us a little bit of insight on that yeah. and, and the difference that it did make and maybe think about the difference that it could have made if you didn't have a mentor. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> coming out of college, you know, you think you've got it all figured out. You're like, yeah, I aced all these education classes. I'm going to rock it. And lo and behold, every teacher out there knows first year teaching is really hard. Um, and so having two mentors in my life was so helpful. And it, it was like angels had come down onto earth and had been like, Hunter, you need this. You need someone who can help you plan curriculum and you need someone who can help you fix behaviors. Here is Kathy Meidel. Here is Shannon Moling. Like these two people will just save you and help you. And so it was really nice because I would go to one for all my science curriculum, all the standards work, standards alignment, um, you know, long-term planning lessons and units. And she's brilliant at it. And so that saved me in that area. And then having Shannon um, be that person I could talk to about, you know, I'm really struggling with this kid today. How could, you know, what have you done in the past? What are the strategies you use? And just really problem solve with her when I'm struggling with classroom management, with handling a specific behavior issue or seeing those things over time. Um, and also for both of them to come in and say, hey, you're not crazy. <laughs> just to say, hey, you're doing a really good job. I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but you are. And here are all the good things that you're doing. Here's some things for you to consider. Um, and I think the, you know, the key to mentoring, any good mentor walks alongside you. Um, they don't try to force feed you answers. Oftentimes the best educators have the answers already. They just need the right questions to be asked to them so they can say it out loud, right? Um, so having those two come in my room pretty frequently, they ask me such great questions to really um, get me to think about my own practice and get me to the answers that they probably already knew, but they allowed me to discover it on my own. You know, and I think that is so great that your school or your district you know, has such a great induction, you know, program as far as for first year teachers. And I think that is something that is vital. And, you know, I, when I first became a teacher coming in from, from, you know, the private sector and coming in without even going to the college of education or everything, it was through alternative certification, but came in, I, I don't recall even being assigned a mentor at all whatsoever. Mm. However, the teacher right across the hall just really took me up under her wing and she was like, oh yeah, you know, do this, try this, try that. And then all of a sudden I met another gentleman within the department uh, who was actually about two buildings away from me uh, because our schools like at that time, I mean, they were just expanding, but he would just kind of walk by and I would teach with my door open and just very methodically walk by and just kind of give a glance and, and I can kind of see him per through my peripheral vision and I was intimidated because I was like, oh my goodness, am I messing up? Am I doing something wrong? And, you know, I remember getting the feedback from him and he's like, you know what, Alfonso? He goes, if you keep doing what you're doing, he goes, man, these years are going to fly by. You're doing a good job. Just keep at it. And, you know, just to have that reassurance from somebody and just to have somebody take you up under their wing is something that is so important um, because, I mean, let's not sugarcoat this, but sometimes 
you're assigned somebody that really doesn't want to do it and they're just kind of like okay i guess you know and mm -hmm. get the stipend but they have really like offered no help at all whatsoever and that could be very detrimental you know in in for somebody who's a first year teacher to not have somebody that is really there for them to help them you know with those questions like you said like hey you know how about some strategies for classroom management or you know what are some ways that i can present the curriculum and so on and I think that that is so important and even more so now with so many teachers, we want to make mm -hmm. sure that they feel welcome. We want to make sure that they stay right. and that they have a wonderful experience and that we build relationships with them. So yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> I got lucky too, because, you know, my student teaching experience, uh, I had one amazing, amazing cooperating teacher who set me up to teach really well. He, he you know, he was a science teacher in the, in the Des Moines area and, the way he taught, you know, it was it was more lecture style, but the kids were so engaged because he was such a great orator and he always had hands on activities for them to do. And just like seeing him being in his flow constantly and really like the dialogue that he would say, like so well thought out, every single word had purpose. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want to be. But that was after my not so great fifth grade experience where I was with a teacher who you know, rip things out of kids' hands, would just berate kids in front of me. And I physically just, you you get that knot in your stomach where you're just like, this is not right. And you just kind of have to walk away because you're the student teacher. What else can you do? Like, and so it was nice because when she left for a couple months, I could just go on in and do my thing. So that was really nice. But, you know, unfortunately, if like, if I didn't have parents as educators who were there to remind me like, hey, this is what it's really like. This is going to be good for you to see what it's not like, you know, reassuring me. I think my going into my first year of teaching would have been a lot more different had I not had that foundation sort of predestined for me because that was, it, it was kind of a nightmare. And I feel like a lot of teachers end up having that, but they don't have the extra support systems to say, Hey, what you're going through is not normal. You're going to be fine though. Like it's going to be okay. Um, like you said, that affirmation is so important. Yeah, it truly is. And just building those relationships. And I'm glad like, you know, just having those two mentors there, building those relationships, just having somebody there is definitely mm -hmm. very important. So Hunter, let me ask you something. I mean, considering you did have, or you were able to get experience or hear the experiences from both your parents, what is, and I want to ask this, what is something you wish you knew, something you wish you knew before you started teaching? I mean, you went through the motions, you went through the, the College of Ed, you aced your exams, you did all of this, but now you are in the classroom. What is the first thing that comes to mind that you're like, man, I wish I would have known this? Oh, man. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Alfonso, you're making me think. The There's so many ways. I could. Okay, the first thing that comes to my mind is how on earth do you manage your classroom? And what does that truly look like through the lens of relationship building? Not just being nice to kids, because a lot of people are nice to kids and a lot of people like kids. But how do you use those relationships with a purpose? How do you systemically create that for every single kid? Um, I didn't know how to do that and I'm still working on it, but I didn't really know what I was doing until I had Shannon come in and she's like, hey, here's how you like you have a great foundation. Let me tweak a couple things. Here's some strategies you can use. And hey, by the way, you don't have to teach content until November. Like, it's okay. Like she had that mindset of like, no matter what, the relationships come first and content will be second. Like you're saving time by implementing those positive systems right now. 
you're going to make it up later. So don't worry about the content. So having her there really helped me. Um, but that's something I wish I knew that like I had been able to practice during student teaching and throughout my college experiences. You know, and that's one thing, Hunter, that resonates with me so much because mm -hmm. not only that, but I mean, like Josh Tovar and Ryan Scott, great leaders also, it's always, you know, it's connections before content. And mm -hmm. even through my learning, ex through my own learning experience, when I first became a teacher, coming out of, a, you know, uh, marketing, pretty much, that's the business that I was in and coming in to teach math. I always came in with the mentality of these are my customers. I have 30 customers that I have to sell algebra to. Not mm -hmm. everybody's going to buy it the same buy the subject the same way, but I have to build those relationships with them. And I love that you said, you know, sometimes the, the return on investment and that's something that has always up until this day with anything the return on investment is great when you establish those relationships in the very beginning on the get-go because it'll make things a lot smoother as you go along because the students will know you're real, you're genuine, that you really care about them. It's building up that culture. And then just like Josh Tovar says here, kids do not care how yes. much you know until they know how much you care. So, Absolutely. And, and then he also says here, as Principal Caffelli says, you can't fake the funk with the kids because they know. And they know. A, yeah. And Amanda here joining in says the culture and climate of your classroom will make or break you. So most definitely. So I'm glad, you know, that you did have that awesome mentor there to tell you like, hey, just take time and get to know them, build that culture. And I think, you know, it wasn't from, from the till I moved from high school to elementary that I really learned that a little bit more now because now I had my students all day long. So mm. it was just like, man, you're there with them. You're building those relationships and, you know, they see you vulnerable, like, you know, but it's okay. They, you know, sometimes cause you know, sometimes they throw me off and I was like, well, I don't know that, but let's find out together. And, mm -hmm. you know, those moments and then they trust you and then you go yeah. right along with them in that journey and I love that. So that's great advice, my man. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So how has it been now, your third year? You know, what are some of those first year things that you have already seen and said, okay, now I'm a little bit more experienced. What are some things that you yourself, upon reflecting, are, are you seeing that it's like, man, all right, I'm nailing this. I'm doing well. <laughs> well, nailing it might be a stretch. I'm still learning so much, you know, and, you know, we're all lifelong learners. So, yeah, you know, first year was just getting my feet wet, figuring out, you know, what are you teaching? How are you going to handle these kids? Right. Very basic, like just trying to get through. Right. Second year for me was all about clarity. How can I add clarity to what I am doing every single day? And that was a huge lesson that Shannon taught me was clarity is like clear as kind. And if you're not clear on what you're asking kids to do, then how on earth do we expect them to be successful? So it really was me practicing. Okay. Am I really doing this task for any specific reason? Like, or am I just doing it to fill time? And if I'm not, if I'm not clear on why I'm doing it, then that's not really kind to the students. I need to figure something else out. Um, so I think that was year two. I think year three for me is figuring out, okay, I really know what lessons I'm teaching. I'm a lot more confident in my curriculum. I know how to be clear. Now, how can I shift it onto the students? How do I get out in front of like, away from the front of the classroom and how do I shift the thinking onto the kids? And, and so many teachers are like this and I'm it. I will be the first one to raise my hand and say, hey, I love helping kids. So like sometimes I answer their questions for them and that is a problem. Um, 
the kids, the people that are doing the thinking are doing the, the learning and they, I, that's my goal right now is how am I shifting the thinking onto them, even if they're struggling through it. Um, and obviously that student autonomy piece is really, really challenging. Um, there's so many things you have to do to prepare them for that. You have to have, you know, effective systems and routines. You have to talk them through about how to handle productive struggle. Um, you have to have that respect level, right? Because if they don't trust that you're going to be there for them and they fail, then that's going to completely make them shut down. And so that's been a big process for me this year is like, yes, putting all the curriculum pieces together to make it really exciting and engaging and meaningful. Um, but also like, how do I get the kids to just do more of the thinking? So like they should be the ones tired leaving school each day. And I should be like, yeah, let's do eight more, eight more classes. Let's go. Um, because I've done all the work ahead of time. They're the ones doing the work during the day. So, yeah. And I love mm -hmm. that, you know, and I think that's so important. And it wasn't, like I said, you know, coming from high school down to elementary, those are some of the things that I kind of just learned and naturally just, I don't know. It was just something that was just very natural to mm -hmm. say, okay, you know, let's, let me be the guide on the side. Like, I don't want to be up here lecturing the whole time. And then, so then that's when I started just, you know, at that time, Chromebooks and all this were barely coming out. And I said, all right, mm -hmm. I'm going to use all of this. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to use all of this. And then I just put it into the students' hands, would do my lessons. And I was like, all right, guys, we're going to create a project. I want you guys to work in groups. You're going to create either a film. You're going to create some slides. You're going to do this. Screencastify. You're gonna just, I, I just put it all in their hands. And it was just something that is amazing because I think a lot of times, as teachers, it's like, oh no, that that just spent. It's too much time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. But I learned that, hey, you know what? With all of this that I'm doing, I can bundle so much within one lesson, and they're hitting so many different things. But at the end of this, they have a learning artifact that they're turning in, where I mm -hmm. can see visibly uh, that they did understand the content, and they're not just memorizing the content. They're putting it into practice, whether it's through a slide presentation. Some students, they they love to go and present. Other students didn't like to present. They would record. So mm -hmm. we have so many wonderful tools now that we can put in the students' hands where they can create content and take ownership of their learning. And sometimes it's just hard for teachers to kind of step aside and be that yeah. guide on the side, don't you think? Right. They, they have uh, teachers like... We, we feel like we got to be in control of everything, but we don't. It's exhausting that way. Don't do that. And, and you know, to mention the ed tech tools, like for me, it's all about what's going to help this kid the best. Like, how can they show me their mastery of learning? At the end of the day, I don't care what it looks like. I just need it in my hands somehow. <laughs> so if that means go record a Flipgrid and do a little interview with yourself on lunar phases, great. Do that. If you're a person that wants to do Google drawing, awesome. Here, here you go. Oh, PDF, great. Fill it out on Cami. Awesome. Oh, pencil paper. That's cool too. Like as long as you show me mastery, I don't care. Whatever your strengths are, use them. Um, and I would also argue that like, yeah, it takes a little bit of time to teach the kids how to do it at first. But once you've taught them, it's like, like they're good to go. It's like teaching a man to fish. Like, would you rather try and catch the fish for them and wear yourself out? Or would you rather just give them a pole and help them along? Like help them help teach them how to fish they need to learn um and once they once they have that tool then they start suggesting to other classes oh hey can i can i just do this on flipgrid real quick sure why not like they just feel so much more confident and like they have the ability to to show mastery of learning instead of just being cut and dry one way <laughs> yes i agree with you and and i'm going to just share a little anecdote one of my courses that i took 
our professor took everybody by surprise when mm. she said, okay, guys, well, this semester, we're, I'm going to try something a little different. I'm going to give you guys a choice board. You should have seen like eyes open up like deer in headlights where people were like, some of my peers in there were like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. She's like, oh, yeah, you can do this or this or this or this. And this is the way that I'm going to grade that you share showed mastery of what we're doing and the expectations of the class. And they kept that. I'm not sure I quite follow. And she's like, well, you can do either this or this or this or that. <laughs> and, but you should have seen the faces. And we were there for like about 30 minutes and people were like, they, they were still, you know, they didn't understand and here i am i was like i i raised my hand you know through zoom and she's like yeah alfonso go ahead i said well i only see four options but can i do a podcast for my project she's like yeah go ahead do a podcast for your project i was like all right i'm set i'm good you guys can pick <laughs> anything else but and but that was so wonderful and i think that that just kind of shared with me kind of like our education system of where we have ingrained it's either a b c d or E or A, B, C, D, and and that's it, or the teacher just telling the student what to do. And if there's no one there to tell you how to do it, there's confusion. There's like, well, what do you mean? I'm still not following and so on. And so it's so important, like you said, you know, show them the tool, but in the, in the and they, they'll pick the tool that's most effective for them. And yeah. as long as they show mastery, Hey, you're good to go. Yeah. And, and so many teachers, I just want to comment real quick. Like you mentioned the multiple choice option and so many times teachers are only offering the a option that doesn't diversify like language needs that is in size nine font that people can't read that has so much vocabulary that people don't understand. Like it's just, and it's like off of someone else's website that you've never even like vetted. It's just a free resource. And like, we really have to be critical of what we're asking like our students to do and what we're offering them. And if it's not something that we're willing to do ourselves, then why would we ask our students to do it? Like I would just really challenge people on that. If, if you're really confident in the assessment that you're providing, if you truly feel like it's tiered to show different levels of mastery and you feel like it's able, you're, you're able to differentiate it. Awesome. But so many people are just stuck in like, Oh, this is easy. Download it off of a website. Here you go. Um, but really it's just, we have to offer tools to kids to, to show their learning, to show it in different ways. But I'd also put the, some of that effort onto the teachers too. What are we truly asking them to do? Mm. Um, but like, but like with your professor situation, like once she taught your, you and your peers how to pick from a choice board, they probably really appreciated it afterwards. Right. But oh, you yeah. would have ne- they would have never known until they had that option. Yeah. Um, because up until then it was always like, well, this is what you're going to need to do. And this is what your paper's going to look like. And this is what you're going to read and so on. And then with her, it's like, bam, you've got four things you can do mm-hmm. any combination of and go for it. That's it. Wait, <laughs> yeah. I have autonomy over what I can do. Exactly. Oh my goodness. And I think that was more of that shock of like, yeah, I don't get it. You mean I, I can pick and choose. And, and then of course there's, there's that one kid in the back me, well, you don't have this option. Can we add that? <laughs> so I was like, okay. Why, hey, why not ask? You know, if that's what right. works for me and it's still going to give her what she needs, why not? Why not? Right. I, I like what Josh said here. You know, speaking of this topic, you know, Josh Tovar says, you know, academic factory style learners. Now, this isn't the first time that I hear something like this. You know, Josh brought it up, but I had Micah Shippey a couple of uh, months back, you know, and he's saying, you know, if you think about our education system, you know, it, it's very industrial-like where you have a bell 
that'll tell mm -hmm. you when to start a bell to break for lunch. Then you have a bell to end the day and you're lined up in rows for the most part, a lot of classrooms lined up in rows and it's very factory style, you know, in that sense. So, but now I think we're seeing obviously, you know, a lot of younger teachers or even teachers, you know, that are seasoned teachers that are seeing like, Hey, kind of need to shake things up a bit. We kind of, mm -hmm. and those are those teachers that are willing to look into or look for that help, whether it's being connected through social media, listening to podcasts, hearing things from friends and so on. So I want to ask you, Hunter, how mm. has it helped you in your practice to be a connected educator, either through, well, through your podcast and just in how you share uh, through social media as well? Oh my goodness. I, I can't say enough about being an, a connected educator. It has changed my life. Um, but I will say that you have to make the conscious choice to do it. Like you can't just expect as a fresh first year teacher for these magical coaches, this magical curriculum, these magical strategies to just fall out of thin air and, and land in your classroom. You have to be the person driving that learning yourself and trying to go out and connect with people. But once you do, oh my goodness, the, the amount of wisdom, the amount of people, the kindness, the generosity people offer. I know we were talking a little bit before about it. It's just... It's incredible. It's almost overwhelming, like the amount of people that are willing to help, um, like if you're willing to ask a question, but you have to be willing to go out and do it. And so for me, you know, being a, you know, all those conversations with my parents, seeing the dark side of education and being like, yeah, I want to fix it. I want to change it. I had all these questions, just all these burning questions. And that's really what drove me to start at Essentials, that my education platform is I started blogging my student teaching experiences just a little bit. Um, I did like four or five articles and then I was like, dang, writing is kind of takes up a lot of time. I'd rather just talk to people. And so <laughs> podcast kind of grew from there. Um, and, and now I do the Ed Essentials podcast where I, I reach out to those people and people ask, oh my gosh, how'd you get Dr. John Hattie? How'd you get Rick Wormley? How'd you get Todd Whitaker? And it's like, I just asked, <laughs> I reached out to them. Uh, John Hattie was chilling out in his like beach home, uh, like over COVID because they were quarantining and Todd Whitaker messaged me back on Instagram and like you just have to ask people because people in education are the kindest people. They want to help you um, if you're genuine about it. Like if you are truly in need, there will always be someone that can answer your question and help you. Um, that's why I have a tough time with people who say, well, I don't know. I just give up or, well, this is too hard. I don't really know what to do. So whatever. And they kind of just give up. I'm like, have you been on Twitter? <laughs> have you been on Instagram? <laughs> Go do a Twitter chat. Go search up uh, Alfonso on uh, Instagram or find his podcast. And like, if you need resources, it's out there. Um, and maybe you've tried, but you're just not right, looking in the right places. And so like, once you become a connected educator, man, I can't even imagine my life without it. I would be drowning. And, and at like a base level, being a connected educator just makes you feel like you're normal. And you have some people that are going through the same thing you're going through, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent. Teaching is... <laughs> It's a community. It takes a communal effort. And like, if you don't have that community, teaching is really hard. It just really is. Um, but being able to say, hey, you know, have you experienced this before? You know, my student did this today. Have you ever, have you ever had any strategies to deal with that? Yes, I have. Oh my gosh, thank God. I thought I was going crazy. Like those conversations just keep you moving forward and keep your energy levels high because it's so easy to run out of positivity lately. Yeah, no, and I agree. And like you said, you know, right now we're getting a lot of uh, love from the comments. We've got Josh, you know, who's following you. We've got Mel also, who is 
says, hey, you know what? Don't be afraid and ask all the questions. And mm-hmm. I know Mel, um, you know, and I, I got introduced to her, you know, as far as uh, during COVID and all that. And Mel is just a wonderful educator. And I think what has helped her and I've seen just the amount of people that she connects with is also is like much like you and myself. It's like, hey, we need to find an answer. We're going to go straight to the source and we're going to find mm-hmm. out and we're going to ask and so on. And like I said, you know, when people have those reactions and say, oh, you've had them or you know them. I was like, yeah, because I've had questions and I go straight to the source. There's no yeah. reason to do so to not, you know, find answers. I mean, nowadays right. it's so easy to connect with people. And that's something that we were talking about a little bit earlier in the warm up mm-hmm. chat. You know, there are still teachers that work in silos. There are still teachers that are just cooped up they, they they it's just using the same thing same resources they don't want to share anything they don't want to connect any you know with anybody they just do the same thing that they've been doing and i often made a comment i actually i spoke to a teacher once and you know just had a conversation in passing and you know she said well I, you know i've been teaching for 25 years and this and that and i said have you been teaching for 25 years or have you been teaching the same lesson for 25 years and she kind of just you know, almost fell back in her, you know, because it kind of hit her. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, she became my best friend and, you know, we've been good, you know, but, but even then I've seen her Mm -hmm. grow where she was like, you know what? I never thought anybody could ever teach me anything, but you have. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And that's kind of like, it's a mindset. So hundred, I mean, am I right? Don't you think it's like that growth mindset as opposed to that fixed mindset? It, that resonates super, super well with me. Like even today we had a team meeting and it didn't go great. There were some negative things that were being said and, you know, stemming from a mindset of, well, this is super hard. I'm not willing to find answers about it. So I guess I'm just stuck with the problem. And we have a lot of teachers that, and you know what, partially, yes, it's on her, but I also blame some of the things that were being told as educators. Like, you know what, education stuff, you just do the best you can close your door, Right. With that sort of mindset, yeah, I understand the 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 meaning behind that, but that doesn't mean close your door off from visiting other teachers. That doesn't mean close your door off from learning lessons from others. That doesn't mean close your door off from being willing to find the answer no matter what because it's what's best for kids. Um, so that's part of it. Um, I mean, the growth mindset's really difficult to have unless you are surrounded by people that also have that growth mindset. Like, you're sort of the sum of the average people, you know, the, what's the saying this you're the, the average of the five yes. people you surround yourself most with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd suggest first year teachers, I know I've done podcasts on this before, but even just any educator, you really have to be intentional about who you spend your time with. And last year I was like, man, like there are a few teachers I hang out with a lot and they're great. There are some that I spend too much time with. And it's not because they're bad people. It's just, they complain, they're complaining about kids, the way they talk about kids. It, that's not for me. So I've had to make really tangible and really tactical tactical choices to figure out, okay, who am I really going to spend my time with? Because I want that energy feeding into me. And it's really made a difference this year. But unless you're really self, self-aware of those things, um, it's really hard to get out of that um, fixed mindset unless you have those people. Yeah. And that's so important. You know, when you surround yourself with others, I mean, even today, uh, you know, I, working with my friend Isaac. I mean, he's my colleague now and, you know, I've known him for as long as I've worked there in our district and now we work together and it was just so great. We're just like back and forth on getting ideas for a makerspace project that we're working on and so on and just being able to toss those ideas around and 
then we have uh, Jennifer, who is uh, what the secretary to or an assistant to the assistant superintendent. And she's there. And then she's like, man, like listening to you guys, just like, man, you guys are like, like, just like in the zone and everything. I was like, yeah, and because it's like when you work with like-minded individuals that have that same vision or the same passion or see that change, I mean, man, it just, it, it really makes your work environment so much better, you yeah. know, and that's wonderful. And to connect to what you were saying too earlier, like you're, yes, you might be solid at your school because you have to be in order to survive because there is so much negativity, but your professional learning network can be, people on Instagram, people through podcasts on Twitter, like that can become your space. So don't let your environment dictate you in your mindset. Um, you have like the most power available to you at your fingertips, but you've got to be willing to go out and, and look it up and, and find it. Yeah. So. No, well said. Now going back into that, Hunter, like, so you, I know you said you started writing a little bit of blogs mm -hmm. and started putting stuff out there. What inspired you to do that in the first place? Hmm. That's a great question. I think, I think the big thing was similar to sort of what was driving me from seeing the sort of negative side of education with my parents. Like I wanted to mark down ways and record ways that I felt like there could be change in education. Right. And, and changing, it could be little things. You know, one of the articles I wrote about was why we should let kids listen to music and not yell at them for taking their headphones out. Like, like just a little mindset shift of how you treat a kid. Um, can make all the difference in a classroom and that can make the long-term difference for the relationship between you and that child. Um, so mainly it was because I wanted to remember like, okay, this is a really important lesson that I either observed or that I kind of experienced myself. I want to remember that so that when I go into the classroom and I'm like drowning, I can go back to this and fall back on this. And that my, my philosophy and my core of who I am as an educator stays true. Um, because as you know, like you were, we were mentioning the idea of mentors earlier, it's not always sunshine and roses. There might be teachers out there that start to influence you. Like even when I was student teaching in that fifth grade room, I felt myself kind of changing a little bit. I'm like, oh man, like I'm becoming a little bit negative. What's going on? Mm -hmm. um, and I had to really, like, I think the writing really helped me reflect and step back and say, okay, what am I really learning from this? And what is the right way? Um, so that's kind of where it started for me. But, and now it's just sort of turned into podcasts of, Okay, how, who can I find that is an absolute expert in this area um, who is making amazing change? And how can I ask really meaningful questions to that person? And how can I, as a third-year teacher, speed up the process so I'm not spending all this time learning, going through the trial and error process? How can I take what they've done for years and learn from it immediately and speed up the process of becoming more effective more quickly? Oh, no. And, and I agree with you on that. I mean, I think very similar to what you just as you said is pretty much that's the reason that I started putting some stuff out there and then now that it was more meaningful and tying it more to my career and tying it more to my schooling and so on those connections that I've been able to make and the same thing with the, with the podcasting to be able to bring in the people that are doing some amazing things and oftentimes you know there's some people that are doing some wonderful things that are out there that you know haven't had an opportunity to have a platform to you know amplify mm -hmm. their voice and their work and so on. And I love making those connections because I know that I'm going to learn something from them too, as well. And just as you, like with the amazing powerhouse guests that you've had. And I love that idea because I'm on that similar track that every person that I bring on is somebody that I see that is doing something meaningful and is doing something great. 
And I want a little bit of that awesome sauce too as well mm -hmm. so I can sprinkle onto into my practice. So I'm definitely learning a lot from you today, Hunter. And obviously I appreciate with, that. And with everything that you put out on social media too as well, you know, it's just been great. And I, it's been a pleasure and an honor to connect with you. And, and you know, this is really the first time that you and I even chat or talk. And mm -hmm. it's just like, man, we can go on for hours. So that's great. I know. you're. <laughs> I got like lesson planning to do. I've got grading to do. I'm so ready though, Alfonso. Like you have hyped me up. You've got me ready. Like, Let's do this. Like I said, bottle that up so I can have that every class period and uh, I'll be set. I, I think I'll be all right. Yeah, there you go. Well, Hunter, let's talk uh, to our, our share with our audience too. you know, a little bit more about your podcasting as well. Sure. Let, give us a little bit more uh, info on the show. And, you know, as far as the guests, I know we talked a little bit about that. But well, first of all, too, I want to ask, was your did your podcast start or, you know, during pandemic as well? Hmm. So I can't even remember when the podcast really started. It started way back when it was originally called Schools of Thought. And okay. I started with an assistant principal. Um, and as he just got busier with life and I kind of got busier, we sort of, you know, he went his own way. I went my own way. And I said, hey, I'm really thinking about rebranding it. I think there's another podcast sort of with a similar name. So I was like, you know what? We'll just call it the Ed Essentials Podcast. And he was cool with it. But uh, I think it started, I think, two years ago. I can't remember if it was during okay. COVID, but... I just had this idea of equipping educators through the stories and insights, right? There are so many stories. And like you said, there are so many teachers that don't have the platform that are doing amazing things. Um, it's like if more people could just learn from the best teacher in their school, we'd be like education would be fixed. Like we wouldn't have all these problems. So how can we make the information more readily available? And for me, like I just wanted to learn. I really did. Like I wanted the answers from the best people possible because I want to have the same impact on kids. Um, it's really not about like getting likes or getting views or listens or anything like that. It's more about what am I learning from this person and how can they influence me and my philosophy and my teaching and my pedagogy to impact kids. And, and when you're when and you know this, you know, being on social media, there are all kinds of people that ask things from you. It's like, oh, can I be a guest on your podcast? Or, you know, like I'm not really about that. I'm just about like as I go through my educational journey, what are those natural questions that I'm coming up with those, those natural things that I'm like, Oh man, I haven't really thought about a solution to that. Okay. Who would be a great person to answer that? And I do research and I find people. Um, and I've just been lucky enough to have a lot of people be really generous with their time, but you know, so it's called the Ed essentials podcast. It's available on all kinds of platforms. You know, you name it, it's probably on there. Um, I try to do episodes at least once a month. It used to be weekly with mentor teaching and master's classes on the weekends. Obviously the podcast takes a bit of a backseat. So I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of my most avid listeners. But, you know, I try to do it just when it feels right. I don't try to put things out there that I don't really think that I put a lot of thought into. Um, so so it's more meaningful for me that way. Yeah, no, and that's wonderful. And that's what I love too. And in the similar situation too, is like a lot of times it's like, man, I just get so excited about topics. And and it, it really is just me. Like, I just get really excited about learning and so on. And I just yeah. want to get people on to share because I want to learn about that right then and there. And usually what it'll do is I, I guarantee you, like, after this conversation, that like probably tomorrow there'll be a blog post up and everything because it helps me reflect and what I've learned and the takeaways and so on just to continue sharing. But very similar to you, you know, I, I find those questions, those problems, and then I'm like, hey, I'm going to find those people that have those solutions and let's have a conversation and see mm -hmm. what else we can learn. And I mean, nowadays, like social media is so powerful, so powerful. So, so it's powerful. wonderful. Yeah. All right. So Amanda says like, hey, man, like tomorrow's Friday. Lesson planning can wait. <laughs> <laughs> 
unfortunately, Amanda, uh, lessons need to be planned. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> the kids need it. Yeah. All right, Hunter. Well, we're going to start kind of wrapping up here, but uh, these are some of the questions that I love to do, you know, at the tail end of the show. And mm-hmm. so let me ask you something for yourself. What are some things that, that you love to do just to kind of get out of your head and just kind of disconnect? Ooh, I mean, walking my dog is the biggest thing. You know, time is such a struggle for so many teachers. And so I've really focused on when I'm walking my dog, even if it's for like 10 to 30 minutes, however long, it doesn't matter. Like that time is sort of sacred time now. I always used to listen to podcasts and stuff on my walks and I try not to anymore just to truly disconnect and and just reflect on my day. Um, So that's one thing. I also do just really like being outdoors. So, you know, my dad's a big hunter and fisherman, outdoorsman. And so anytime I can fish or be out in the woods, just where there's literally no, no cell service, I can just be sitting there freezing my butt off, but it's great because I've got nature all around me. Like those moments I'm, I'm learning as I'm, I'm growing in this profession that like I'm valuing those more. So disconnecting that way. And also just sometimes going into, you know, being a hermit and watching Netflix for a few, like an hour or two or on the weekend, just taking a Saturday off. Like I'm such a, I'm a terrible workaholic. And so any time where I'm just not doing schoolwork is probably good for me. <laughs> Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, that's yeah. good. It's oftentimes you do need to disconnect and just veg out. My thing is like, like for my downtime like my wife and I will just get on Netflix and we'll watch like cooking shows and like the great American, yeah. the great British bake off and, you know, things like that. We're into that. And then now that the Christmas season is here and everything, we're probably going to start binging on some Christmas movies, and things of that sort. So you <laughs> definitely need that time to just really disconnect and recharge and, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of set all that aside. So what are some ways to, I want to know, um, how you yourself continue to grow professionally and seek professional development. Does your district offer uh, professional development for you or a lot of it is through, you know, through reaching out to people on social media? What are some ways that you help yourself develop professionally? Yeah, I think it's uh, multifaceted. So we do professional development every Wednesday, but um, it's sort of led by a variety of people. And so what I've been trying to do with as a mentor teacher and as um, a building leadership team member is just inserting myself more like where where things need, need to be done. I'm trying to ask, hey, can I do that? Right. So like part of the things we've done this year is establishing a behavior tracking system for our entire school. Like that's something like just trying to take on projects so I can challenge myself, but also feel like I'm more connected to what my school is doing. That's been really powerful, even if it's just something small like, hey, can you format this sheet so it works better? Great. I will do that. Um, so so that's one way. Um Asking questions to the right people within my school has also been another. So like even today, for instance, I talked to one of the master teachers, basically an instructional coach. And um, I was like, hey, you know what, Katie, I just really need you to come into my eighth hour. It was rough yesterday and I really don't know what was going on. Maybe it was me, but I just need you to like I need a fresh pair of eyes on this classroom. And she came in today. I'm sure she'll have great feedback for me tomorrow. Fingers crossed, Um, you know, just being willing to open my classroom up to people. But then asking questions to my mentor, my other mentor teachers, master teachers, my admin, right? Asking them, hey, when you make this decision, how'd you do that? Or why, what was your thinking? Um, But then of course the podcast, you know, reaching out to guests, um, trying to get those extra burning questions answered and connecting with people like yourself. It's, It's what drives me forward and keeps me positive about education. Awesome, excellent. Well, here's another question for you. What would you say is your edu kryptonite? Oh man. My edge of kryptonite, like 
what drives me nuts as a teacher or okay yes sir <laughs> man well lately it's been these tech decks oh my gosh these skateboards where they're just flipping them with their fingers that is like i keep saying okay park them in the garage park them in the garage they're like mr flesh you don't have a garage built i was like great so now I, we got to build a garage together so that's actually thanks for the reminder that's gonna be something we do tomorrow there you go <laughs> is, is build a garage for each period so they can set their skateboards in there oh my goodness um you know i think I think my edge of kryptonite doesn't really have anything to do with kids. It has more so to do with like how I respond. Um, I find most times when I'm frustrated or I'm feeling really negative, it's because I wasn't focusing, focusing as much on the positive in the first place. And so <laughs> they still have those. Yeah. They're all the rage now, Mel. Uh, yeah, I know there it's, it's insane. But I think, you know, like yesterday, for instance, it, I was just, maybe I was tired. I don't know what it was, but I just did not feel like my normal self. And my friends will tell you, like, I'm one of the most positive people alive. And for me, if, if I'm not feeling positive, then my kids kind of feel that too. And so today, you know, a lot of, for my eighth hour, I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I feel like I was kind of shouting and I feel like I was probably embarrassing some kids, not by choice, but just by out of pure frustration. And I'm really sorry. And 99% of the time, those kids have said, you know what, Mr. Flash, you, dude, you're fine. Like <laughs> they kind of deserved it. Or like, we need to be the ones to fix our behavior. And like, that's another lesson, just being willing to apologize and being willing to be vulnerable with your kids is that's so empowering to yourself. And it's empowering to them to, to see you be, be who you are and not try and act like a robot. I mean, every kid wants to know who their teacher is and what they're really like. So, yeah, no. And I think that is so important. And I love that you said that, you know, being vulnerable, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay mm -hmm. to not know everything. It's okay to, you know, just have your students see you as a human. You are a human. They are human too as well. And just see those things. And, you know, but it's also important just, you know, for them to, to, to grow as well. And just mm -hmm. to be able to see those things that even if it happens to them too, you know, we're going to be there for them. And so, yeah, that's wonderful. And Amanda said here, the, the shoe holder over the door with the pockets, that could be their, their tech deck Ooh. holder too as well. So you can do okay. that. Amanda, I'm gonna have to message you more about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so she's got that going on. All right, Hunter. So final two questions as we start wrapping up here is if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, man. Anything on it. It doesn't have to be education related. It could be anything. We're anything. gonna make it education related. Um, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was be kind to kids. At the end of the day, you're here for the kids. Um, you're not gonna have fun as a teacher if you're the one being mean all the time. Yes, that also means set high expectations, but also treat them with kindness. Kids do the best they know how. So if they're not doing what you're expecting them to do, teach them. <laughs> Sometimes it's simple, like it's simple, but it's not always easy. That's what Todd Whitaker always says. It's simple, but it's not easy. If they don't know how to use Flipgrid because they've never been taught it before, teach them. If they don't know how to sit in their seats properly, teach them because like, they just need to learn how. And we, we assume too much that they should already know how, especially at the middle school level. We assume, oh, well, they should have learned this in elementary school. Like you're, you're 12, 13 years old now as if they're like true adults. And it's just like, come on, be kind to kids, assume positive intent, teach them if they need it. And, and then after the fact, like, yeah. If you're still not sitting in your seat. Okay. I kind of taught you already. So we can have a conversation about that. But at the end of the day, you got to be kind to kids. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, I love that. And big shout out to Tim Cavey. Tim Cavey joining yeah. us. So I love that teachers on fire, teachers his on billboard, fire. create over consume. Ooh. Love that. Love, love that. that. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you, Tim, That's for stopping powerful. by. Appreciate you, my friend. And Hunter, last question before we wrap up. If you and I were to switch roles and this was your show and I was your guest, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? Hmm. Well, I could ask one question. Okay. I'll ask you the question I ask in my podcast. If you could recreate the education system from scratch, okay, if you could recreate it all and you only could offer this guiding force of people uh, that are recreating the system, three questions or th three guiding pieces of feedback, what three statements would you provide them? Ooh, <laughs> you got me good there. Okay. So I'm reinventing three pieces of feedback that I would give them. Like they're building the perfect school. Mm-hmm. Give them three pieces of advice. What should they do? Now, just not to the infrastructure, but you mean just like it could be it could be infrastructure, it could be policy, it could be philosophy. You take it how you want it. All right. That's the okay. best part. All right. So the way that I would do that, it would probably be relationships. Number one, the most important thing would be relationships, not only with students, but with parents. It's important that we reach out to our parent community. And oftentimes, the when you hear the word learning community, I feel that parents are not included in that. So my biggest thing is making parents feel welcome, connecting with them, because there's oftentimes where parents can come in and they don't feel welcome at, mm -hmm. at a campus. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. These parents are trusting their kids with our teachers in our district. So for me is meet them where they're at. If the parents can't come, go out there and meet them where they are at. So number one, relationships with parents. Number two, I would say for do not focus on, I guess I don't want to say assessments. I mean, I know mm -hmm. we need to do that, but don't take it for a grain of salt. To me, it's better to equip the child to be able to be a successful adult and be mm -hmm. able to improvise, adapt, and overcome yes. and be able to do those things. So we need to make sure that we share those skills with them rather than them just grow up and just A, B, C, D, or waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. So it's important that we develop those skills. So data does not determine how, what that child is going to do. So mm -hmm. stop that already. And then for me is uh, also UDL. What's good for one is good for all, which means, for example, if I have students that require a certain support, don't just offer it for that one student or don't just say, oh, well, that's the special eds, you know, department that they need to take care of it. No, 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 no. As a teacher, you're that first tier of support. It's offered to them, but make it available to all because you never know. You can't say that just because this learner is more advanced may not need that support. One day they may come in and say, hey, you know what? I would prefer to listen to the reading rather than read it, uh, rather than read it through a book. I'd rather listen to it. So we need to offer that uh, that choice in that learning, but making the supports available to all. So I, I think right off the top of my head, those are the three things that I would select. Powerful. You should be running a school. Let's get it happening. <laughs> hey, you never know. I'm working on that. So we'll exactly. see. Exactly. You know. I know you are. All right, we're working on that. But yeah, those are the three things that, that I would do. And thank you so much for asking me that. That really got that out of me. And now that's probably going to be a blog post that will be coming up to as well. So for sure. Well, I love that. I love that. I appreciate you asking those questions.
Yeah, I know. Well, thank you, Hunter, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know we've connected on social media, you know, mm -hmm. on Twitter, on Instagram, maybe. I love the work that you're doing. I love, you know, the, your guests that you've brought on. Your podcast is definitely great. I've been sharing your link tree here in our chat. And of course, it'll all that information will be, you know, on the episode and show notes and so on. So guys, make sure you connect with Hunter. He's doing some amazing things. And don't be afraid to reach out. If you have any questions for Hunter, anything going on, uh, you know, that you might have learned from his experience or anything that he can help you with, reach out to him, reach out to me. And I know Hunter and I would probably be on the same wavelength that if we don't have the answer, we'll definitely connect you with somebody that has the right answer for sure. I was just about to say that. We will find an answer for you. We will yes. make it our responsibility. Yes, for sure. Because that's what we do. And that's those are the type of educators that we are, guys. So Hunter, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you so much to Mel. Thank you so much, Josh, Amanda, Tim Cavey. Thank you, guys. As always, those of you that are watching, those of you that are going to be re-watching or re-listening, thank you so much for your support and for making my ad tech life what it is today. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have that. Well, even if it was, we'd still be doing the show, but we really appreciate your feedback, guys, honestly. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for your support as we're coming up to our 100th episode. I'm so excited. You know, I think that somebody said that that's a big milestone in the in the podcast world. So I'm excited about that 100th episode. But we couldn't have do it, do it. Well, we couldn't do it without you. And this is my passion. This is my my passion project: connecting educators, creators, one show at a time. So thank you so much. Visit our website, myedtech.life. Check out all our episodes. Give us a review. Drop us a line. Get some merch. Support the show. Just send me a DM. Just hey, I love to hear from you guys. So we've got some great shows this Saturday. We've got Ryan. Scott, who's going to be joining us this Saturday morning. So we've got another ed education leader that will be showing up. And we've got our special 100th episode. I'm so excited. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but it is a big, like, I I'm excited. It's a huge guest, and you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. And that will be December 4th. So make sure that you are available and set your times for 7 p.m. Central Standard Time for that 100th episode because it's coming and it's going to be awesome. So thank you guys so much. All right, guys. So this is me signing off. We'll see you this coming Saturday. But until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie. Y'all take care and have a wonderful evening.